and welcome to episode 8 of Proustian Paths, the podcast that takes you on a gentle walk through the text of a classic work of French literature, Marcel Proust's In Search of Lost Time. I am James Holden, and I'm your tour guide for this literary journey. Along the way, I'll be offering you a view of all the novel's key moments, so that if you're a first-time reader, you'll be able to see them from their best vantage points. Or if you're already a dedicated Proustian, you'll get a different perspective on the people and places you already know. Today, we'll be looking at Swan's jealousy and his emerging suspicion of a man who we'll meet for the first time, Forcheville. But before we get into all of that, I want to take a moment to say welcome all, and thanks for taking the time out of your day to join me on this literary journey. Special thanks to long-time listeners to the podcast who have again waited so patiently for this new episode. Your continued passion for this ongoing podcast project, as well as your engagements with the show over on social media, mean a lot. In today's episode, we'll be continuing our gentle walk through Swan in Love, the long section within In Search of Lost Time's first volume. Specifically, we'll be making our way through the passage that runs from page 253 to page 286 of the English translation published by Penguin. This starts with Forcheville's introduction into the Verderan Salon. It ends with Swan reading Odette's letter to Forcheville, an act driven by his jealousy. If you're reading along in another translation or are following the podcast with the original French text in hand, this section should be fairly easy to identify. We'll begin, as ever, by drawing a quick map of this section, so that we have a sense of the literary terrain. Then we'll add a few conceptual and narrative landmarks to that map, so that we can confidently orientate ourselves in the fictional space. Finally, we'll move along the Proustian paths and take in the literary view. Just as we're heading out into the streets of Paris, I'd ask that if you enjoy this episode, please do consider subscribing to the channel wherever you get your podcasts, sharing it with others, and leaving a five-star review. It's much appreciated. Also, don't forget that if you want to find all of the different episodes arranged in handy playlists, you can do so over on the show's YouTube channel. The Literary Map This section of the Proustian Path is crucial not just for our ongoing journey, but also in the ongoing progression of Swan and Odette's relationship, and in the journey that Swan himself takes from love to jealousy. You may recall that the section we traversed in the previous episode was able to be understood as two separate passages. I think we can equally split up the landscape of today's section into smaller areas of text. Firstly, we have the account of Forcheville's introduction into the little clan, here, the narrator sets out something of Forcheville's character and recounts in some detail his first evening at the Verderans. We learn of his relationship with Sagnette and has shown him forming bonds with the other members of the gang. This part of the narrative sequence ends with the end of the party itself, and with us being told some of the protagonists' responses to it and each other. We learn of Odette's mood with Swan and the Verderans' own responses to the newcomer. How, specifically, in their opinion, he compares with Swan. There then proceeds a number of pages in which we learn a little more of Swan's developing relationship with Odette and his feelings towards it. There then follows a sequence of two related scenes which, in their narrative proximity and similarity, can be thought of as composing the second main section of the passage we are reading today. These two scenes have Swan visiting Odette's house and knocking to gain admittance. They mark a turning point in the Swan and Odette relationship, as the former begins to suspect that the time during which Odette is not with him is actually populated by other lovers, and Forcheville in particular. In the first instance, the first of these window scenes, Swan returns to Odette's house late, after having only previously been allowed to stay for a short while. 
He spies through her lit window on his return and thinks he hears her talking to someone else. Only, of course, it's the wrong window, and Swan disturbs two other individuals in error. Then in the second case, Swan is not admitted to Odette's house upon knocking, and so goes to her window and knocks there too, still with no answer. Upon returning an hour later, he is told that she had heard him, but as she had been in bed, had not got to him in time. However, her agitation makes Swan believe that this is only partly true. Then, just as he is about to leave, he hears the bell ring, the sound of the door closing, and of a carriage leaving. As he exits, Odette passes Swan some letters to post. He finds that one is addressed to Forshville. He cannot stop himself from reading this, and discovers that it implies Forshville had been there earlier when Swan had first knocked. Odette refers to the uninvited visitor, Swan, as her uncle, so as to disguise the real events. The revelation of all this is on page 285. Literary Landmarks Having mapped out this literary terrain, we can begin to mark onto it some physical and conceptual landmarks. In this section, Proust expands a little the geography of his literary Paris. While we don't visit any new locations here, we nevertheless get to see the places we know from different angles, both literally and metaphorically. Most obviously, in the sequence where Swan knocks on Odette's window, he does not go directly to her house but to a nearby road and makes his way around the back. Of course, in terms of seeing things from new angles, we are shown the Verdurin Salon from the perspective of not just Swan, but also through the vision and thoughts of another newcomer, namely Forcheville. To return to physical locations, we also get references in this passage to both Combray and Mesoglis, that's on page 272. These places are mentioned without explanation, although for us slow walkers on the journey through Proust they shine in the light of a kind of literary nostalgia, as we already know them in great detail and know their significance too. As well as links between physical places, this section helps to establish and modify the links that connect the characters to each other. Central to this section is the binary opposition between Forcheville and Swan, although the extent to which they are opposites, established here in their attitudes and behaviours, often breaks down. Monsieur Verderin may say of Swan on page 268, how different from Forcheville, and we are shown that this is true, but it does not always hold. We learn that Forcheville himself is the brother-in-law of the archivist Sagnette, who we have seen previously. It's this latter character that Forcheville attacks at the end of the passage we're traversing today, reducing him to tears. In the party described here, we are also introduced to Brichot, a professor from the Sorbonne. It's also worth pinning another point onto our literary map here, as we will certainly return to it as we go further onto our journey. There are, in this passage, references to Swan's health. On page 272 we read, quote, Having felt unwell and sad for some time, especially from the time that Odette had introduced Forcheville to the Verderans, Swan would have liked to go and rest a little in the country. On the following page, page 273, we read of, quote, a slight feverish indisposition that had hardly left him for some time now. Our journey onward along the Proustian paths will find us seeing the like of these references again. Conceptually, we might mark a number of ideas onto our walking map here. There is, for instance, the question of the nature of intelligence, raised by Forcheville but refused as a conversation topic by Swan. Most obviously, though, there's the dramatisation of the processes of jealousy and love which work counter to a more sentimental narrative, but which are shown to be powerful propellers of action. In fact, these two questions, of intelligence, or at least of knowledge, and jealousy, are shown to be bound up as Swan searches for the truth regarding the nature of Odette's relations and the way she spends her time. 
The Literary Critical View There is much to see in this whole section, and much to do with the act of seeing. It is, perhaps, worth stating, to start with, how the scene introducing Forcheville to us, and by extension into the Little Clan, is really a companion scene to that which saw Swan introduced into the same group. It's worth returning to that earlier passage and reading them alongside each other. To note a few extra points, we get to see the whole clan through the eyes of the newcomer. Here again, we get a moment of awkwardness with Dr. Qatar. We also get the Vantois Sonata played again, although here its significance has changed. Whilst it still operates as the, quote, national anthem of the love between Swan and Odette, Swan now demands that it act as a, quote, confidant that would tell Odette to pay no heed to Forcheville. That's on page 267. In fact, the little phrase, always itself returning in Vantois' work, returns again later in the passage once Forcheville has established himself on the group. That's page 273. Of course, the whole opening sequence invites a comparison of and the establishment of a possible opposition between Forcheville and Swan. This is, to an extent, wholly valid. As I suggested earlier, though, this opposition can't always be neatly established and doesn't always hold. Put simply, this binary structure serves at a basic level to throw both characters into relief. The narrator shows how Swan and Forcheville are different in their competition for Odette's affection. In truth, today's section begins with the establishment of this opposition. On page 253, following on from a discussion of Swan, we read, quote, How different from a newcomer whom Odette had asked the Verdurans to invite, the Comte de Forcheville. The text then immediately proceeds to highlight some of the differences, stating, quote, True, Forcheville was grossly snobbish, whereas Swan was not, etc., etc. More broadly, we see during this whole passage the differences dramatised in, for example, their differing responses to the painter's rude humour and to Qatar's puns, which Swan excuses in his own mind, that's on page 253, but which impress and delight Forcheville. It's as though the two characters are bound in an impossible partnership and comparison. The later sequence in today's section, featuring the two window scenes, can be interpreted as a literalisation of the idea of viewing things differently, of taking a different perspective on things, ideas which underpin the social scene in the Verdrans and the opposition between Swan and Forcheville. The two competitors for Odette's affection see things differently, and we as readers are asked to see them differently too. Now, in the window scenes, we are literally shown the action from a new perspective, more, we get the literal presentation of Swan now being on the outside, no longer part of Odette's inner circle, as he stares into what he believes to be her home through the rear window. This image is confirmed on page 285 when we read, quote, Through the transparent glazing, a little of Odette's life, as in a narrow, illuminated section cut directly out of the unknown. The life that Swan sees is a life that is being kept from his view, and his view of it now is a bringing into vision, into the light. This is an image that is reinforced when Swan later holds Odette's letter up to a candle to read its contents, on pages 284 to 5. These window sequences are also about perspective and what we see more generally, the ways that things seem different when viewed from a different position. Of course, this is a major Proustian preoccupation and lies at the very heart of his project in the search. Characters are shown from one angle and then later from another, through another window, fictional or literal, as it were. Take Odette, who we once saw through the eyes of the narrator as he walked along Swan's Way, and who the novel has now shown us through a different frame 
and whose swan himself now attempts to glimpse through a window frame. These scenes of mistaken identity and spying through a window may also recall the scene of the narrator watching Mademoiselle Van Toy and her lover. Already then, Proust is asking us to create connections between moments, and to increasingly fold the text over on itself, to show how one moment can replicate the structure of another, and how the structures of jealousy and desire are replicated. The notion of seeing things from different perspectives can be thought to be a major conceptual link between the two parts of this passage, the party scene and then the two window scenes. Take, for instance, the moment in the party where Madame Cotard mentions certain theatre plays and remarks that she hasn't seen them yet. Swan himself expresses that he is not interested in them, to which Madame Cotard replies, quote, One should never argue about novels or plays. Everyone has his own way of looking at things, and what you find detestable may be the very thing that I like best. That's on page 260. This is, on the one hand, a gentle way of diffusing an awkward disagreement, but might also, on the other, be read as a rebuke of Swan for his lack of insight. This section begins a more thorough examination of the machinery of jealousy, an examination that will run all the way through the search, from Swan in Love, where we are now, to the narrator's own loves, including, most notably, Albertine in The Prisoner, although that is for a lot later in our journey. Here, for the time being, we might point out how Swan equates the assuaging of his jealous suspicions with the pursuit of truth, with a capital T, a process which seeks to justify and ennoble the psychological need and mechanism of jealousy. That is on page 276, where we read, quote, Now it was another of the faculties of his studious youth that his jealousy revived, a passion for truth. The narrator's comments on the difference between psychological pain caused by jealousy and physical pain are also interesting. The former, as a product of the mind, exists in the mind and is recreated in it. This, we are told, creates a problem in ever being free of it. On page 278 we read, but with this pain the mind, merely by recalling it, recreated it. To wish not to think about it was still to think about it, still to suffer from it. The scene at the end of this passage in which Swan reads Odette's letter is also worth bringing into view before we continue on our way along the Proustian paths. This is not literally a purloined letter, as Odette gave it to Swan to post. However, there is an element of the Poe's story here and the broader critical readings that have sprung from it. This is a letter whose contents are sealed, a message aimed for one individual and addressed to them, but, typically, is one that arrives elsewhere, with Swan. It would be possible to build a broader critical model out of this scene, similar to the one that Lacan built out of the Poe story, or the one that Derrida constructed in his response to it, and articulated across his works in texts like The Postcard. Here, meaning doesn't arrive at its destination, but elsewhere. As always, it remains for me to say, thanks for joining me on this leg of our gentle literary walk. If you've enjoyed the journey, again please do consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving me a review. Don't forget that the show is also now available on YouTube, so please do subscribe there too. It's on YouTube that you'll be able to discover the different paths we're taking through Proust's novel arranged into handy playlists. For more Proustian content, you can also follow the channel over on social media. Finally, if you'd like to support me and the channel, you can do so over on coffee.com. You can do that by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash Proustian Paths. 
Your support in this way is of course entirely optional and will always be massively appreciated. The next leg of our journey through Proust's text will take us from the Bois de Boulogne, where the Verderans had the Moonlight Sonata played in the moonlight, through to the party at the Marquise de Saint-Avert's house. We'll be covering pages 286 to 324 of the English translation published by Penguin. I look forward to you joining me on the next section of our walk along the Proustian paths.